Hello, welcome, and would you look at this mess. I'm your host, Kate, and the purpose of this podcast is to trace, explore, and celebrate the unconventionality that lives within all of us. Hey, welcome back. Um, yeah, so I definitely told a little fib when I said that I wasn't going to be late or miss a day again. <laughs> I I d- actually did debate just taking this week off because last week, of course, was Christmas. I kind of thought that I might be short on time, but I was like, oh, we're going to have a couple days. It's going to be quiet because, you know, coronavirus, we're not doing anything. Um, and so I thought that I would have an opportunity to record something. But um, as I sometimes do, I overestimated how much time I would have. And so now we're just a day late, but I'm getting there. Okay, I'm getting there. So this episode is coming out <laughs> immediately after I record it. Um, but I will say that I have blocked out time this week to batch record a few episodes. So I should, for this foreseeable future, not be posting or, or uploading late or missing weeks. But, you know, I'm only human. So anyway, okay, let's talk about sexuality and how we talk to our kids about sexuality. This is kind of a loaded topic, <laughs> and uh, I, I don't know. I, I'm personally figuring this stuff out as I go because, like many of us, I didn't grow up in a house where uh, conversations about sex and sexuality and all of the suite of things that goes along with that was uh, common or encouraged. So I don't really have a template for how to do this myself, so I'm just figuring it out as I go. But I'm committed to doing that because I do think that it's important for my kids to grow up understanding these concepts and being familiar with their sexuality and feeling empowered in it and feeling like they are the owners of their sexuality. So um, my kids... Well, no, okay, hang on. Let's, Let's start with something that needs to be identified here, which... I mean, this is what I believe to be true, and I think if we can start to conceptualize it in this way, it might help a lot of people to to, to go with confidence in, in talking about these things. So the bottom line is it takes practice to talk about these things. It takes practice to talk about them with our partners and to talk about them in our own minds, to confront them and to talk about them with our children and people that we love in our life. And as I mentioned just now, we often don't get a lot of practice growing up, and so it's on us to start doing that, taking on that practice. Um, and so in my view so far, as I've started to do these, have these conversations with my kids and stuff, um, I find starting young, and simple is really helpful because if you can start by some doing something like naming our children's genitalia for what they are um, and using proper terminology to refer to our children's bodies. So you start using terms like penis and testicles, vagina, vulva, labia, all those things that are describing correctly and accurately what uh, what body parts our children have. Um, and so this is like a very 
small first step in taking the power out of talking about sexual things, things around sexuality and our sexual bodies and that sort of thing. And that helps build the foundation for having other conversations going forward. And so there's actually two reasons why it's important to do this with your kids. The first one that a lot of us are aware of is that if for some reason at some point in your child's life they are to experience sexual abuse by somebody, um, having them understand what body parts are on their bodies, where they are, what they're called, how to, to describe them is really important for them to be able to identify to you what's happened to them. And so it's simply that's that's just a strategy to help protect children against sexual harassment and sexual violence um, because children just need to know what those things are so that they can describe it to you. What I'm also advocating for is using that idea as a stepping block to having bigger and more in-depth conversations as you, as your children age. Because again, if you start talking about things like that and you use them in everyday conversation, you become more comfortable with it over time. You're starting to break down your own barriers to having conversations about things related to sex. It does work, and at least it has for me, because <laughs> I'm a fairly open person sexually anyway, but definitely there is a bit of awkwardness and tension when it comes to talking about these things with your kids. It's just you feel like they're these innocent people and like you don't want to corrupt them, but at the same time, um, by not equipping them with any information and knowledge and understanding of their bodies, of what sexuality is and all this stuff, you are potentially setting them up to have poor experiences as they get older with sexuality because it's they're ignorant to it. They don't know what to expect. They don't know what's going on with their bodies and all of that stuff. So it is, in a way, equipping them to be able to take on the realities of things that are coming for them later. So again, it's a stepping stone because it's also important to be age-appropriate and developmentally appropriate for your children. And I do think that this is going to be child-dependent and it's going to kind of be on you as the parent to figure out what your kid can and can't um, absorb at a particular time or what's going to freak them out or something. Um, but so I would say for my kids, um, so I was going to say earlier, my kids are ages three and five. My daughter, Our daughter is uh, five, our son is three. So, um, but even like, I'm trying to think now, Emmeline would have been probably two or something, maybe, maybe a little bit younger. Yeah. Anyway, so in between her first and second year, I picked up this book called What Makes a Baby and uh, by Corey Silverberg. And it's a great book because it's very neutral in its approach to things. And it just gives you facts about um, having babies in a in a storytelling kind of way. So it talks about, you know, some people have penises and some people don't, and some people have uterus, uteri, and some people don't, and babies grow in a uterus and blah, blah, blah. And so it tells you all of these, like, important facts about children, but it's not giving you all the, the, the details that kids just don't need. So it's going to ask those, or it's going to answer those sort of burning questions that they have as they become more aware of bodies and, and babies and whatnot. Um, but it's not going to overexpose them to stuff that could be traumatizing to them as they get older. 
um, because this is kind of a, a balance of things, right? Um, you don't want to give them too much information to start, <laughs> and uh, you don't want to be inappropriate with them. Um, so that book was a good one that I, I started with very first with both my kids, and we still have it, and we still read it, and we can build upon that uh, with our kids in terms of um, you know, adding more layers to that conversation of how ch- how babies are made and how they grow and all of that stuff. Um, then, um, when Emmeline was around the age of four, she started to noticeably start exploring her body more. And I th- still, I very strongly feel, and at the time I very strongly felt that I wanted to empower her to do that because nobody ever did that for me and for a lot of women I know that's just not what happens we are are shamed our hands are slapped away we're told not to do that all the the rest of it so I didn't want that to be her reality so I just happened to have this book called Girl Sex 101 by Allison Moon and yeah it's a book about like female pleasure and uh anatomy and all that stuff so I got that book out and I didn't like show her, you know, all of the, the, all of the nitty gritty details in that book, but there is this page or there's a couple pages in it where, um, it gives a good illustration of anatomy on your body. So, uh, there's one page dedicated to the anatomy of a vulva and vagina. And then there's another page uh, describing and illustrating the anatomy of a penis and testicles and that anatomy um, so I used that, that I, again, thinking about where she was developmentally, what I thought she could handle at that point, um, and understanding her body. Cause she would, she would like try to look at her vulva and it's impossible to see that. <laughs> so, so I thought, okay, I think she could handle this. So I got that book out and I opened it to that page and I said, look, this is what your body looks like down here. And these are all of the parts that you have. These are what they're called blah, blah, blah. And I said, sometimes when we touch certain spots like this one or this one, it feels good. And that's good. I think that that's great. And if you find that it feels good, I think you should all, you should continue to do that. However, at this point, it's important to remember that this is something that you will do in private when you're alone and you're in a private space. So places like the living room and the kitchen, not private. Uh, your bedroom, even the bathroom, those are reasonably private spaces. And so I want you to know that it's totally up to you how much you want to explore those parts of your body in those private spaces and have all those good feelings. And she was just like, "Uh uh-huh, (laughs) yep. She just sort of took it in and was like, okay. And uh, so it was, it was interesting because leading up to that conversation, she had all kinds of questions and stuff like she was just very curious about what was going on. And so I tried to answer all the questions she had and, and give her a little bit extra information, but not overload her. Um, And, and so then it really, she just kind of stopped asking questions after that. She, I think my interpretation is that she felt confident that she kind of understood what was going on um it's possible that it like overwhelmed her and she was embarrassed or something by it but I don't think so I felt that the conversation was very positive um and that we were able to address questions that she had and I was able to confidently and appropriately um address that kind of stuff with her um and with Bobby he hasn't really gotten to a place yet where like I felt 
like he could use that conversation yet. Um, he did potty train this year, so he definitely has more access to his penis than he did when he was in a diaper. Um, and so, yeah, like he'll touch it sometimes, like over his pants or whatever. Sometimes he'll walk in and he's like watching TV with his hands in his pants, but like whatever. <laughs> he's not touching himself necessarily. He's just comfortable, I think. Um, so I haven't seen enough uh, behavioral stuff in him yet and he hasn't been asking questions yet would, that would lead me to believe that he's ready to have those kinds of conversations but um, but again because this book does contain anatomy for males as well and sorry I will also add that I did go over the male anatomy with Emmeline too because I think it's important that children are aware of the opposite um anatomy that exists too. And I say opposite as if that's the only, there's only two types of anatomy, but I do know that there are different types of genitals and, and arrangements for genitals and that sort of thing. I don't want to over, uh, I don't want to um, gloss over that. So, uh, but at any rate, there are two relatively standard um, types of anatomy. And so I want both of my kids to be familiar with at least those. Um, and then we can sort of peripherally talk about the fact that there are other other kinds of genitalia as well, because we have this conversation about gender too, right? Gender and 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 uh, sex are different things, um, but in both categories there are more than two, um, and so the kid, my kids do get conversations about like, oh well, there's there's more than two types of genders, and sometimes people are sort of in between and all that stuff too. So, anyway, um, so but I wanted my kids to be familiar with both both standard types of genitals. Um, and so when Bobby does get to the stage where he is ready to have that conversation as well, then I will happily crack my book again and, and have that talk with him and go through all of it. Um, I'm fairly open with my body in the sense that, you know, I'm not like shying away if my kids see me naked or something or like they pop into the bathroom while I'm using the toilet and stuff. Um, and they will occasionally come in while I'm like changing my menstrual cup. <laughs> and so then they have questions about that. So I have been as open and honest with them about that as well. Both of them again, because, um, you know, okay, so I, I saw this post on Instagram recently from a woman that I follow and I thought it was so great. She was talking about, um, getting her daughter prepared before her first period to expect that it's going to come and knowing what options she has and what's out there and what to expect and all that stuff so that when it happens, her daughter feels prepared and empowered to deal with that situation. And I think that is so great. I thought that was awesome that she was advocating for this kind of um, mentality and this kind of action and preemptive action. Because, I mean, again, how many of us <laughs> got our first period growing up and we're like, what the F is going on, what's happening to my body, <laughs> and having no clue what was happening, how to deal with it, all that stuff. So I thought that was awesome. And she didn't she didn't necessarily say that she was talking just to her daughter. She didn't explicitly say that she would be talking to her son too, but she didn't not say that. So it was interesting because in one of the comments on that post, a woman said something along the lines of, oh, I'm so glad that I have boys. I don't think I could have the period conversation, ha, ha, ha. And the, the creator commented on that uh, comment or responded to the comment and said, you know, like, I talked to my son about periods, too. I think that he also should know about this stuff. And I was like, yes, <laughs> I was so happy to see that response because it is important 
for boys to be familiar with periods and what happens with the period, why we get periods. Um, and again, the same suite of things of what to expect, how to deal with it, what options are available. They should also be aware of these things because it normalizes something that is extremely normal. Having a period is an extremely normal human uh, experience <laughs> for women, or sorry, for people who have uteri and vaginas, right? And that's a fairly significant amount of the population. So it seems, again, kind of backwards to me, and, and maybe I'm just too radical of a thinker, but it seems backwards to me that we don't prepare everyone within the population for this inevitability, for the fact that this is going to happen and that it is normal. It's not disgusting. It's not unusual in any way. It's a very normal human um, experience. So by having this conversation with boys or with people who fall outside of the, the girl-female spectrum, having them aware of it and making them aware of it and having open conversations with them that aren't charged with judgment and shame and all of that stuff is also important. It's, and so, again, if my, if my kids see me um, changing my menstrual cup or something like that or, or adjusting, I use cloth pads, so adjusting my pads or whatever, my underwear, I'm very honest with them about it. And <laughs> that it's just that's that, with both of them. They know that it's it's called menstruation. They know that it's just a, a short time of, of bleeding um, from my vagina that happens every so often. I don't know if they know about like the regularity of it at this point, but they're aware of it. And so again, um, having that as sort of the basis for the conversation that's going to grow as we grow, um, it helps to, to again to destigmatize, to normalize it. And so it becomes a little easier to take those next steps in having those conversations ongoing. And so this is another thing where I've thought about what, what often happens culturally for us, which is that there is the quote-unquote conversation that our parents have with us at some stage in our lives. And I know that I'm not alone in thinking that this is completely inadequate. It is not adequate to have a single conversation about sex or sexuality. It just isn't because there is so much that is encompassed within this reality of our lives. You couldn't even cover it in a full, in one conversation. But it also, again, it comes down to um, being at different levels of development. And if you start from the framework and you build that out, then you can build a more robust understanding of sexuality as time goes on. And so you're actually preparing, again, your kids to be more prepared for the eventuality that they're going to have sexual feelings, that they're going to want to explore those sexual feelings. And so then you start having those conversations of, well, what happens when I start feeling this way towards someone? And... Um, that person reciprocates and what options do we have to explore those things? Because one of the travesties in my mind is that we're only given a narrative about sexuality being penis and vagina penetration. That's sex defined, but it's not. And, and 
it's important for, for people to be aware that like you can experience intimacy and sexuality and sex in other ways. And so, I mean, fundamentally, when you only talk about things like penis and vagina penetration, penetrative sex, um, and that becomes the norm and what you are striving for, that puts people at such a high risk of so many things. When you look at STIs, AIDS, pregnancy, un- or unwanted pregnancy, um, all those things are a result of normalizing penetrative sex as being the pinnacle of sexuality, as being the pinnacle of this is what we're all trying to get to. Really, if you ask me, what we're all trying to get to is orgasms. So there are other ways to get there. And there are other ways to please your partner and to do things for them that don't involve those things that are higher risk. Um, Anyway, so that's something that you can work towards your children understanding. Other things that you want to start talking about when they're young and building the framework for is stuff like consent and bodily autonomy. You want your kids to know that they have control of their bodies. They're the ones who make the decisions about what happens to their bodies. And if you you don't respect that, then there will be consequences. And just today, my, kid, my kids were playing together. They were playing with Lego. And <clears throat> Emmeline said to Bobby, Bobby, I'm not I'm not um, trying to control your body. Why are you trying to control mine? And I was like, well, that's nice. She's standing up for her body. And I love that. And I didn't like say anything or whatever, but I just noted in my mind. I was like, okay, so this is actually kind of working. (laughs) Um, And so they kind of had to do some, some conflict resolution through that. But that's all part of it. That's all part of this, again, this suite of conversations and understanding about sexuality because you want your again okay another one of those things that like nobody wants to talk about it but it's a reality is that like children need to know that they're in charge of their bodies because that's a whole other side of sexual violence that comes at children because when you groom them through things like uh if a relative asks for affection and you force them to do it or anybody asks for affection and you say, you have to do this, that tells them that they don't have a choice and that if somebody asks them to do something to or with their bodies, that they have to do it, that they are, um, uh, that, that they're meant to do it, that they can't say no. So that's why it's important to empower your children to make the choice for themselves to use or be a, a party to something with their bodies that they, that they do or do not want to do. And something as simple as giving a hug is a part of that because that hug turns into something more serious later on and then they don't know that they could say no to that. So bodily autonomy is is a big one and consent is the other big one too because, again, forcing ourselves on people is is something that we really need to start weeding out of the population, right? Um, even Again, even things like hugs, okay? I, for one never really thought about this as being a thing when I was younger because I love, I love giving and receiving hugs. It's one of my favorite types of connection with people. However, what I didn't consider for a very long time was that not everybody feels the same way. Not everybody loves to give and receive hugs. So by, and I don't necessarily think that I ever forced hugs on anybody, but I definitely would have hurt feelings about not getting a hug from someone. And, and that's, that's wrong. That's not cool to, to, to express hurt because someone didn't 
give you a hug because they may not be comfortable with you, with the situation. They just may not enjoy hugs. Maybe they're really sweaty and they don't want you to notice. It doesn't matter what their reasons is. The reasons are for not wanting to hug you. They're entitled to that and you have to respect that. And so again, starting with something as minor as hugging helps to build that foundation towards understanding like if somebody asks for a sexual act that you don't want to do, um, they need to be able to, or you need to be able to, if it's, if it's the opposite situation, respect the decision not to participate or to say, no, I don't want to do that, blah, blah, blah. That's that part of empowerment of consent and enthusiastic consent, you know, an emphatic yes is necessary. Um, I do think that we have ways to go in understanding that this is, there is a difference between like being coerced, right? So this happens a lot where uh, somebody asks for something and the other person is like, well, I don't really want to do that. Mm, I don't know. And the other person's like, please, I really would love it if you do it. And they're like, okay, fine. You really love it if I do it. Um, And they do it anyway, even though they really don't want to. And so sometimes, you know, there can be that conversation, that back and forth of like, well, you do this and you're like, uh, and you're thinking about it and they say, I'd really love if you do that. And you're like, okay, I'm okay with it. And you would really love it if I did that. So that's a different thing than, than if you were in your mind thinking, I really don't want to do this thing, but it'll make them happy if I do it. So I guess I'll do it. That's a different thing. And that kind of, um, stuff really just needs to end right? We need to stop feeling like we owe somebody something or that we should do it for them just because it'll make them happy because it's really not fair to our our bodies and our uh, selves to do that. So all of this to say (laughs) that, um, yeah, it's important to talk about sex and sexuality and different things with our kids from young ages and to build that foundation for further conversation and to continue to have conversations throughout time and over time. And again, I think um, this this idea that like we can start simple and small and build on it because that helps relieve the awkwardness. It helps to get us to that next step is part of, it's a big part of Um, what we need to be focusing on when our children are little. Um, And then we can have these bigger conversations with them as they get older and give them a more holistic and well-rounded perspective and understanding of these things rather than the single conversation where nobody makes eye contact with each other and you try to get it over with as quickly as possible because we don't have practice in this and we don't know what we're talking about. And you know, sometimes parents also aren't that in touch with their own sexuality, so they don't really know how to pass these things on. So we do need to kind of be exploring these things in our own sexual lives as well, um, as much as we can. So I think I have talked myself (laughs) out at this point. And hopefully there are some things in here that are helpful for you. But again, the biggest thing that I want to drive home is like start small and simple, start with the little stuff, and build on it as your children give you signals to address questions and build further on that information. And then keep kind of thinking about what's going to come next. What kind of conversations are coming for you? What kinds of things are you going to start preparing your children to expect, like periods, consent uh, with their peers as they get older and these things start to come up for them? 
Um, and so it's, it's, a, it's a process. It's not a singular um, event. It's, it's a, okay, so we're going to say it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. <laughs> it's something that you're going to chip away at throughout your children's lives. And we're going to build our confidence up doing this together. So I hope that you have enjoyed this episode. I thank you again so much for joining me. And I, I realize like I get talking really fast in these episodes sometimes because I get very excited and it's stuff that I'm really passionate about. So I apologize if I'm a little bit difficult to keep up with. <laughs> um, yeah, so I would be very grateful if you would be able to leave a rating and or a review on Apple Podcasts um, if you liked this episode. And if you are on Instagram, you can find me there. You can share with your with anybody that you think might benefit from these kinds of um, conversations. And uh, you can reach me, excuse me, on my email at archykait at gmail.com. That's archykate at gmail.com. My Instagram handle is look at this mess pod. And you can also find me at my website, lookatthismesspod.wordpress.com. And uh, yeah, I hope that you are enjoying your holiday season. I hope that you are well and healthy and that you are coping with life as we are all experiencing right now. Some, well, many of us are experiencing some turbulence again. Okay. I will see you in the next one.